Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Space is the place, and for our 156 or three-year anniversary of Lagrange Point, we talk about some space stories. Now, a lot of things hang out at Lagrange Points in our solar system, such as asteroids, but if you want to make money from them, it requires a bit of interesting investment. Don't worry, Luxembourg's on the case. Plus, we find out about some mysteries on Comet 67P and some very unusual things happening on Pluto. Welcome to our 156th episode of Lagrange Point. If you've been doing the numbers at home and carry the two into when doing the maths, you realise that in fact this is our third birthday. The Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point, started all the way back in 2013 as a, a humble way for the Young Scientists of Australia to continue their radio presence and branch out into the world of internet podcasting. And since then, we've delivered over 156 shows in a weekly format, never missing a week, to make sure that you get the latest scientific news and scientific facts in an interesting and comedic way with a wide variety of presenters. So a special thanks goes out to all of you listeners who have been with us on the journey over the last three years, or those of you who have just joined us in the last three minutes. You're all as welcome. And also special thanks to all our presenters that we've had over the years, and particularly in the last year, for Lauren Cracknell for assisting in the co-production and presenting roles of the podcast. And now back to the latest scientific news that you've come here to expect when you come to hang out at the Lagrange Point. You may have heard of Luxembourg, the tiny country of 500,000 people nestled in the heartland of Europe. Claims to be one of the true remnants of the Holy Roman Empire and is famed for its international commerce and banking strengths. But the small country of Luxembourg has taken one giant leap for nationkind when it's embarked on a legalisation process of space mining. It would be the ultimate in offshore investments for this tiny nation of financiers. And it's basically positioning itself to be a lucrative business hub for the mining of precious metals from space, such as gold, platinum and tungsten. Luxembourg has become the first European country to stake out rights for mining of so-called near-earth objects. Effectively, They have put together a regulatory and legal framework in basically to prepare for the exploration and commercialization of space and particular near-Earth objects, or as we like to call them in the business, asteroids. Asteroid mining is a staple of science fiction, but the country of Luxembourg is preparing for businesses to turn that into science fact. Now, whilst they may be the first in Europe to do so, Last November, President Barack Obama of the United States of America also signed the Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act, giving US companies property rights over space resources they retrieve. So effectively, a similar thing. Now, there are two US-based companies currently in the market for trying to compete for these deep space industries and planetary resources. Now, it may seem a bit crazy, especially in a time such as now when commodity prices, particularly of metals, is at an all-time low, much to the woe of the Australian miners' industry and the economy at large. 
but it actually does make a little bit of sense economically to go after these near-Earth objects. For, for one, you're clearing up our local environment, which certainly helps prevent any unfortunate collisions that may occur with our planet and asteroids. But also, most of the heavy substances sink when Earth was formed. They sank towards the core, which makes them rather accessible. And the stuff near the, nearest to the surface has already been heavily mined. In particular, rare metals, rare earth metals as we like to call them, which are a staple of all our electronics and, and defense objects or technologies that we make, have become rarer and rarer and more lucrative to go after. However, in an asteroid in space, most of these are actually very easy to access, or just right there on the surface, or maybe a little bit deeper. You don't certainly don't have to mine anywhere near as much. And there is a large number of asteroids out there from varying in size from 100 kilometers across to just a few meters. And they're mostly clustered, aside from the ones near us, in a belt between Mars and Jupiter. There's a list of about 1,500 asteroids identified by NASA as being easily accessible. And deep space industries has in mind a four-stage process, prospecting, harvesting, processing, and manufacturing. So basically, they tend out tiny space probes that would search for iron ore, rare earth metals, and silicates. And what they then do is some would be bring back to Earth, but others actually would remain as raw material in space for use in 3D printers. So instead of having to construct a big space station or spaceship on Earth and launch it into space, or even a satellite, why not just build it up there in space with a remote 3D printing? But of course you need resources to feed that, and it's much cheaper energy-wise, to actually send it from a nearby asteroid to a printing station, from Earth to a printing station. Now, Deep Space Industries is not just waiting around for science fiction to become science fact. They actually have plans to send out an asteroid prospecting spacecraft into the solar system called Fireflies, which will be launched, uh, which was launched in late 2015. And basically, they're sending another one in 2016 called Dragonflies, which will go then these robots will go on two to four year missions and bring back samples. And basically this is you know one of the first steps in the commercialization process. Now all of these face one major stumbling block, and that is the fact that most nations on Earth, including the United States and most countries in Europe, have signed the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. This was formed and written during the time of the Cold War. When, to prevent war and warring claims in space, the great powers reached an agreement through the UN, which basically says that anything in space is part of humankind's common heritage and therefore should be shared. It's part of the common heritage and requirements. And basically, commercialization is in principle in breach of that. Now, of course, none of this has been tested, and at the time, all of that was written so that the West and the communists could, wouldn't just fight all out over the resources in space. But it's never really become a recent thing in modern times. With the power of modern corporations and their ability to go cross-national, and in this case, even interstellarly, um, the usefulness of country signatures on this becomes a bit more vague. But it'll be interesting to see how international law will keep up with the science fiction becoming science fact. So if you want to live in a hollowed out asteroid or dream of becoming an asteroid miner, then you won't have to be content with playing games like EVE or Star Citizen or Elite Dangerous for much longer. Soon, you too could be uh, part and working with the mining 
an outer space mining company. Just better brush up on your Kerbal skills in the meantime. show over the last three years, you'll probably remember that we've covered several times the fantastic European Space Agency mission, Rosetta, and along with its lander filet, which have been investigating the comet 67P shumanov garismenko which has been working on an 11-year mission to find out what really makes comets what they are. Now, this is such a long-term mission launched in 2004, we didn't actually start really to get a glimpse of what its true purpose was until 2014 when it won the internet's heart with the adorable social media accounts of both the Filet Lander and the Rosetta mission itself. Now Filet, the little lander, just to recap for you, that landed on the surface of the comet bounced and skid and whilst it eventually did communicate there, it wasn't as optimally placed but we did get a lot of interesting data. The Rosetta mission at the same time though has kept its orbit around the comet and as the comet has gotten close into the sun and results have become more turbulent, it's even brought back even more fascinating data about the comet's journey around the solar system. And the Rosetta mission itself has yielded many fascinating insights into the way that comets actually work, the mechanisms that are on take place on the surface of a comet along with the composition and nature of what makes up a comet deep inside its core. And sadly, the Rosetta mission will, unfortunately, like all good things, come to an end in September 2016, where the Rosetta orbiter will join Filet on the surface of the comet 67P. It will descend, albeit more slowly than Filet did, towards the surface and slow crash land bringing back a whole wealth of data and basically fixing itself to the surface for a long ride into the great darkness of the outer edges of the solar system, which is a fitting end to one of the truly great recent scientific missions. But the recent data that has been returned from the Rosetta mission has helped to solve a long-standing mystery about comets. Now, we know that comets are the icy remnants left over from the formation of the planets around 4.6 billion years ago. And now, around eight comets have been visited by varying spacecraft. And we've, you know, built up a good understanding of how they work. They're basically cosmic time capsules. Every time we answer questions, though, we end up raising more questions. And we know they're a mixture of dust and ice. And if they were fully compacted and squeezed together, they'd obviously would be heavier than water. But previous measurements have shown that they have some extremely, extremely low densities, much lower than that of water ice, which is quite confusing because the low density would imply that the comets must be highly porous, like a sponge. So what would cause this real high porosity, these, these holes? Could it be that there's huge empty caves in the interior of a comet? Or is it basically just one big homogeneous, smooth, universal low density structure? more of a honeycomb than big caverns. 
Results that have just recently come in and been published by the scientist Martin Patzold from University of Kong have shown that the Comet 67P, at least, is a low-density object. But not because it's got huge, cavernous, hollow interiors. So, the scans that have been conducted using the Concert Radar Experiment aboard Rosetta showed that even though this comet's got really odd shape, it's like this double-lobed, it's actually really homogenous inside. It's not got big gaps or big holes or caves or caverns. So, that kind of leads, as an obvious explanation, or the most reasonable at least, that the comet's porosity must be due to the intrinsic property of the dust particles mixed inside with the ice. Previous analysis of comet dust have shown that it's not really compacted, but more like a fluffy aggregate, which means the dust's have a high porosity and low density. And this kind of evidence has been backed up by the recent results. So not only were they using the concert radar experiment mounted on the probe, but they're also, in fact, using the radio science experiment uh, to see the way which the orbiter itself was pulled and changed by the gravity of the comet, which basically helps them generate a mass. And by studying the fluctuations in gravity, they're actually able to understand what's going on in the density around that. So that might rule out living in a cave on a comet, and that kind of rules out many sci-fi fantasy elements about having a hollowed out asteroid or comet as a base for your space pirates. However, it does make us, it does give us more of an insight into what's actually going on with these mysterious denizens of our solar system, comets. And it's all thanks to the fantastic Rosetta mission, which is still yielding data and insights, and will well into the future. Only two years after the Rosetta mission was launched, New Horizons was launched by NASA in 2006. And on a long 10-year journey, it finally reached the outer edges of our solar system. It reached the dwarf planet Pluto and gave us our first glimpse into what's actually going on on the surface. Now, that data and those pictures that came back of Pluto were amazing. It included many things such as that wonderful harp-shaped region on the planet's surface. And scientists have been poring over the data that's been coming back for New Horizons for some time now. But one of the most fascinating findings that have just come out from that and been published recently in reports by NASA. So those heart-shaped regions, which are informally at this time named the Sputnik Planum, um, they seem to have a secret. It's a very strange secret. In fact, they seem to be made of ice, which... Which makes a little bit of sense, but because water ice is less dense than nitrogen-dominated ice, they actually believe that some of these water ice mountains that they've seen, these big glaciers and hills of water ice, are actually floating. Floating on a sea of frozen nitrogen. Much like icebergs, just much, much bigger and very far out in space. So we know that a lot of the surface of Pluto is made up of actually of nitrogen ice. And we actually can see um, 
some of the unusual movements and the paths left behind of these water ice sort of aggregations or icebergs to want of a better term or ice mountains really um on this floating sea of nitrogen and it's quite interesting because some of these hill clusters are up to 20 kilometers across so these are not small icebergs by any stretch of the imagination and this also gives us an insight into pluto's fascinating geography it's, it's such a mysterious dwarf planet, and there's a lot of things that we're learning about how planets are formed, as well as alternative ways of planet, basically, operation. This gives us a great insight into how nitrogen seas, which may exist on other planets, especially some of the other moons on some of our closer-in planets, like Saturn and Jupiter, um, it also helps us understand some of the geographic and geological conditions that would form. It also gives us a bit of insight into the similarities that we have with Antarctica and the Arctic, as well as in other planets. So this is some great research that's coming out of the beautiful photography produced by the New Horizons mission. And it really shows that there's more to Pluto than meets the eye. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This will be found out about some of the mysterious ice mountains on Pluto, plus the fact that Comet 67P isn't hollow, as well as legalising space mining and some of the difficulties encountered. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.